Off the Ball with thanks to Ford. This season making stunning saves with the Ford 2016 Real Deal event at participating Ford dealers. Ford, go further. All right, if I can it to you, welcome along. It's a big night in the GAA calendar because it's the All-Stars. We'll bring you news on that in a couple of minutes' time. We have uh, our best of after 8 o'clock. We've got our crappy quiz and we've got the referee of the World Cup final, Nigel Owens, with us. But on top of all that, we've got Brian O'Driscoll too. If I can even to you, how are you? Good evening. Colm, how are you? I'm good. Richie, how's it going? Not too bad, Ger. Um, you've been hanging out with Rio Ferdinand this week at the Web Summit. Yeah, hanging out. We were th- we, we were working together. Yeah. Uh, but then you know, went out and had a few pints with them and ha- had a good laugh. Colin has decided he's changed Chris his mind. Was it? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> or Jay Z's one, whatever that one with the with the heart on it. Oh yeah. Um, I wouldn't know. <laughs> well, he's the Dutch old man. Which we taught you the pronunciation of last night. Um, you've changed your mind on Rio Ferdinand since you read his book. I have, yeah. I thought he was a knucklehead, just from tw- probably pretty much from Twitter, to be honest. He doesn't sell himself too well on Twitter, but reading the book, he is more thoughtful than you would think. You know, there is a brain up there. No, there's absolutely a brain up there. Yeah, he's you know, you know, pretty business savvy just from the little bit of chat that I had. And he's, uh, I think he has the his agent, he owns a piece of the agency now. I think they have 70 players on the book, so... All right. He's, he's got a lot of things going on. What were your What was your talk about? Um, just about social media, about don't uh, drink and tweet, um, and just this is making the transition from from um, from player uh, to pundit. And he he's relatively new. We're, I suppose we were both there with BT, so he's relatively new to the gig as well. So just yeah. being you know being honest, and not having any grey. Yeah, how's he really finding that? Because um, football obviously has the good example of uh, Gary Neville that everybody now gets measured against so you kind of have to go straight in at that level otherwise everybody mm. says you know you're, you're other guys who are less successful yeah I I, have, I think he's good I quite like him I've, and I remember watching him at the World Cup uh, a couple of years ago in, yeah. in Rio and uh, I thought he was very good he was kind of one of the best panellists so he is someone that you, you you know you can still learn a huge amount from as you know as a football fan but the, those, he still has a lot of those intricacies and he's not af- afraid to say it as it is. And I think players you know, who have um, you know, a lot of trophies in their, in their cabinet, a lot of medals are, are coming from a better place where they immediately have, have street cred to yeah. be able to say those things. Yeah, because Robbie Savage obviously got attacked this week. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, the... he's got no street cred. <laughs> <laughs> but not because he was a terrible player, it's just because he's, he's a terrible worst pundit. pundit yeah. yeah, he's ruined his cred. So yeah, and, and we, we were t- we were talking uh, before we came on air with Sam Woolley about I don't I, I'm with in agreement with Woolley that you don't have to be a good player to be a good player you just don't but he's still yeah, out there because obviously you that know. suits my argument it kind of suits my personal uh, <laughs> career <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of myself there but I, no but seriously it is true the idea that you have to be a top player to be a good pundit is nonsense no I agree I agree yeah because um, obviously Dunphy has had a career where he's been entertaining for a long period of time up until about 20 years ago. He's an entertainer rather than a pundit. Yeah, maybe. Uh, all right, 53106 is the text number if you want to get in touch with any of this. Um, Rio obviously has managed to um, make that transition quite well. There's a lot of players who don't do it, but Rio probably, because he had that extra year at QPR where he wasn't really a player anymore, <laughs> that kind of helped. Yeah, it definitely he phased himself yeah, out he of, uh, of one thing. Yeah. Well, I'm just um, going to come to training this week. Yeah, so, and then by then as well, you know, he obviously had the, the massive loss of his, of his wife six months ago. Of course. You know, so 
so yeah. dealing with that as yeah. well yeah. Kind of just his life must be in turmoil yeah and, and having to do that in the public eye I'd say mm. is unbelievably difficult yeah absolutely and obviously he knew that, that I, I wasn't talking to him you know, really about it but you know he knew obviously when she got sick again that there was a timeline given it was meant to be 18 months and then I think it ended up being 7 or 8 weeks Right. so you know having to cope with that um, when there's transition in your life anyway yeah you know, that's uh, must have been horrific. It is pretty awful, but um, yeah, I think, I think definitely it's an opportunity. Stuff like the web summit is an opportunity for us to get to know some of these people in a way that we haven't really. And, and that's what we talked about too, a, a little bit of social media. We said it gives you an opportunity to um, to you know, chat with people about the game and 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 give a little bit more of yourself. Obviously, that hasn't worked very favorably in his case with you, Willie. No, no. He's he's not no, given I'm good glad parts I didn't of himself. Would have walked out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Rio, Twitter, Twitter advice from Rio Ferdinand. <laughs> He's got like seven million followers there. Well, you're, that's true as well. You were complaining yeah. about how few followers you had earlier. Twenty-seven thousand, I am now. <laughs> Noticed you at thirty there today. I just did a quick check. There you go. It's see. another one for the CV, Willie. <laughs> ask ask Brian, me. You're uh, about five fifty, I'd say. Is it? You, you haven't checked it for a, a couple of years, have you not? Go there. <laughs> <laughs> Ask him about any the name of any GEA player in the country, and he can tell you exactly how many uh, Twitter followers they have. I've uh, no, Bernard Brogan. No, no, Bernard Brogan's about eighty thousand, eighty-five thousand. Lark Corbett. Lark Corbett's one hundred twenty-two thousand, and he's I can't say one hundred percent buying followers, but I'm pretty sure, <laughs> pretty sure he is. <laughs> Because Paul Galvin's 92 and there's no way Lark Harbour has 30,000 more followers. Shots fired, I believe. <laughs> Shots fired. Anyway, Luckily, let's move on from this. Th- they're all watching the All-Stars uh, in the GA community tonight. No so you're, you're grand. Uh, they'll hear it in the podcast. Where are we going first? Yeah, we'll start to events at the convention centre and that All-Star ceremony is just getting underway. The hurling All-Stars, we already knew, they're just being presented to the crowd. The main focus tonight will be on the football All-Stars as All-Ireland Champions Dublin are expected to dominate also at the awards banquet tonight, the 25th. 15 Hurler of the Year and the Footballer of the Year will be unveiled. Footballer of the Year will definitely be a dub. Bernard Brogan, Philly McMahon and Jack McCaffrey are shortlisted there. Young footballer is between Dermot O'Connor, Ryan McHugh and Ryan Wiley. Hurler of the Year is to be decided between Tip Seamus Callanan and Kilkenny pair TJ Reid and Richie Hogan. While the Goey duo of Jason Flynn and Cahill Mannion are up for Young Hurler along with Waterford's Tyg the Burka. In soccer, Jose Mourinho's received his stadium ban for tomorrow's game at Stoke after aiming swear words at a referee and refusing to leave the dressing room of the match officials. The Football Association released the written reasons for that suspension, which he was given following Chelsea's loss at West Ham last month. According to the referee on the day, Jonathan Moss, he called referees in general weak, saying Arsenal boss Arsene Wenger is, quote, right about you. Mourinho has been outlining his level of involvement for tomorrow evening at the Britannia. I travel with them and I will be with them until the moment somebody stops me, uh, which is, uh, I think, when uh, I am in the in the limit of the, the compound or the stadium or the facility. I don't know how to how to explain, but we know when uh, I have to stop to be with the players, and that's the li- the limit. Checo was never completely crazy when he was with you guys. He hadn't reached the level of breaking down doors and stuff that he reached ultimately in Australia. No, Noxie did that. So did he? Stuff. Yeah, yeah, so that yeah, was he was, yeah, they couldn't have two of them at it. And so. so he was never banned. There was never a situation where you guys had to... No, Noxie used to... I had a couple of letters written to him and you know, he got a couple of warnings from yeah. the Leinster branch and from, um, right. yeah, from <laughs> like Pro 12 and European rules. How much heed did you take of them? Uh, very little. Very little. He took very little heed of anything. <laughs> 
Now, elsewhere in football, tonight's big game in the Eritricity League promotion releg- relegation the playoff final. Finn Harps and Limerick are competing for a place in next season's top flight. Harps have home advantage tonight in Bally Buffet, but Limerick have made the trip up to Donegal with a 1 0 first leg lead to defend as they seek to hold on to their Premier Division status. Away goals do not count in this one. A reminder Limerick manager Martin Russell is hoping for a measure more protection from tonight's referee than he feels that they got at Markets Field earlier in the week. Physicality is a part of the game the right way, you know, but just when you're getting silly fouls and players obviously not playing the ball and, um, you know, stopping attacks, um, you know, you have to look at that. And as I said, the players have suffered knocks and didn't train today fully. So that does have to be looked at. Kickoff at Finn Park at 7.45. A couple of games across Channel as well. There's likely to be plenty of Irish involvement in the clash of Nottingham Forest and Derby. That's at the City Ground from half past seven. And there's one game in the first round of the FA Cup with the class of 92 backed Salford City taking on the Football League's oldest club. That's Notts County. Meanwhile, Sepp Bladder's lawyer says the suspended FIFA president is in hospital with stress-related reasons to blame. The 79-year-old has been told to rest until late next week. His legal representative, Richard Cullen, says Blatter, though, is fine. Early Blatter spokesman Klaus Stokeler said Blatter was not in hospital. So, story of this one. You've got to start this early. You know, anybody who watches The Sopranos knows that you know Junior had to pretend to be a bit crazy for a while before they were able to get him off on being crazy. But then, you know, ultimately it did end up crazy. So, you just want to be careful about tempting fate. Uh, sticking with Blatter's side of the law, Athletics World Governing Body, the IAAF, has brought charges against four men, including the son of a former president, as well as a former head of its anti doping department. Papa Masata Diak is the son of ex IAAF chief Lamine Diak and worked as a marketing consultant for the organisation, while Gabriel Dolle used to be the director of anti doping. Diak Sr. is being investigated over an alleged seven figure payment to cover up doping offences by Russian athletes. Uh, to the live rugby Connacht and Leinster both in action tonight in the Pro 12 and within the air as well Connacht have got Robbie Henshaw and Nathan White back in their starting side as they prepare to host Treviso at the sports grounds that one kicks off at half seven meanwhile they get underway five minutes later at the RDS where Leinster will host the league leaders Scarlets Henshaw's playing full back is that just to get him on the field we've got a good partnership things are going great doesn't really matter yeah I think as well well obviously you know, Pat Lamb is, is his own boss he doesn't have to listen to you know all the requests of, of the national team plus I, I don't think the players should be just pigeonholed into being you know Robbie shouldn't just be a 12 now yeah you know he, he was has played a lot of 13 he started you know, I think he played at 15 at school so you know I think it is smart you know guys being able to play in multiple positions um, and understanding different roles within the game yeah okay I have uh, first tweet of the evening at McEnnis one do you reckon if it Paul O'Connell will be selected in the 2017 Lions squad and will Warburton be captain again? Um, I'd say Warburton there's a very good chance he'll be captain again yeah uh, Paulie why wouldn't you yeah if, if he if he's, if he manages to get back you know fully fit which I would imagine he will knowing Paul yeah um it's just there's a big difference. Out. There is he did rule himself yeah, out. There is a big difference between European rugby and and not being playing Test match rugby and then trying to kick on to Alliance Tour down in New Zealand as well. Yeah, that's that's quite a gap from top fourteen or or Europe to to then go to that level. It yeah. is possible though that if you wanted to do it, you wouldn't say you were going to do it now, would you? Well, Paul didn't do hadn't played internationally before the last Lions Tour for like a year. Right, he did he did a series of injuries, so he got on that tour off the back of his provincial performances and because he was fit everyone yeah. knew that once he was fit and he was back playing he'd be picked 
and so it didn't you know, he's one person that it shouldn't really matter to yeah so there is a possibility that he's he's mm. also taking the pressure off himself if you know if he is fit and still playing I'm sure he'd he'd go on another Lions tour yeah I'm just wondering would he be considered you? if he's not playing international ah, you will rugby. be yeah you would be yeah? I think yeah someone like him yeah, I think there's there's different rules for well, some that's people, true. especially that's since true. it's going to be Joe Schmidt who's uh, well in charge, right? <laughs> well, it was it was until about three or four weeks ago. Uh, all right, five three one six. The text number if you want to get in touch, you can tweet us as well at Off the Ball. Have you got one more story? Yes, yeah, sure. We'll go with the news of that Ireland tour of South Africa for next summer. The details of which have been confirmed today. Ireland have never beaten the box on their own turf, and they'll have three chances to do just that in next June. The first test is in Cape Town on Saturday, the eleventh of June. Second test moves to Johannesburg a week later on the eighteenth before the final match of the series. That's in Port Elizabeth on Saturday, June twenty fifth. So. Uh, three tests in South Africa at the end of the season that's great fun yeah those three test series are a barrel of laughs uh, we had one in New Zealand a few years ago and um, yeah by the time the second one's finished you really it, it should be back to two again yeah. three is three is tough going yeah what's um, the what's the thought behind them really is it that money I'd imagine you know bums on seats and TV money yeah I, I think the largely what it comes down to we Ireland have have toured very little in South Africa though I was only ever once in South Africa uh, in 2004 and then once obviously w- with the Lions but only once okay. um, which is kind of strange considering I went to New Zealand about 8 times I've no recollection of the 2004 8 times too many what? No, no recollection of 2004 was it close? Um, there was one game we got close in, was there? no? like 8 to 10 ok yeah, so close-ish ok Alright, um, up next we're going to talk to Nigel Owens We're going to be asking about what it's like to referee a World Cup final How he found out and uh, what it's like tomorrow When he's doing a game in front of 150 people You can get in touch with us on social media We're at Off The Ball on Twitter Facebook.com forward slash Off The Ball In the world of social media Things seem to just get out and off that faster now Than they did, you know, even three, four or five years ago I don't understand the Twitter business Where social media is going, it's, you know uh, All these lads on, on Twitter I'm not on myself Facebook and the Twitter and this or that Add off the ball on Facebook and Twitter You know, we live in a different age now Of, of social media <laughs> Well, tweeting, everybody's tweeting now It's um, one of the modern day mechanisms anyway, for, um, for speaking God knows what happened to the telephone? I don't know. On Facebook and Twitter, at Off the Ball. We are your friends. You'll never be alone again. Well, come on. Well, come on. Off the Ball, with thanks to Ford. Drive for the line with the new Ford Cougar Titanium Plus. If you want to drive a real SUV, it's time to drive a Cougar. Ford, go further. All right, you're very welcome back. Tyg de Burka has just won Young Hurler of the Year and uh, not unsurprisingly, TJ Reid has been made Hurler of the Year at the All-Stars. We'll let you know when the football uh, news breaks about who's going to win the Footballer of the Year there. And we'll tell you who won the Woolly Footballer of the Year in just a little while. But for now, we're back to rugby. Brian O'Driscoll is obviously still with us. And I'm delighted to say we've got Nigel Owens on the line. Nigel, a very good evening to you. Good evening, how are you? Yeah, we're really well. We're um, very excited about the prospect of talking to you because we want to find out uh, what it's like to referee a World Cup final. <laughs> yeah, it's a great, great experience really. You know, it's just, it's just the pinnacle of, of a referee's career. And, you know, when when you get appointed that game, it's, you know, it's, it's a great honour really. You know, and I, I was truly, truly humbled and, and honoured to, to have the to have the appointment and uh, and a privilege really. You know, I don't think at the moment, you know, I, I realise what I've been very fortunate to be a part of and, uh I think it's only when I look back over the next couple of days or probably even when I hang up the whistle can I look back and sort of actually realise 
how lucky and fortunate I, I've been to be to be part of you know some of rugby's great occasions and and to reach that pinnacle really of of doing a World Cup final. So yeah, it was it was a, it was a, a truly honour just to be just to be a part of that of that occasion and of that of that great game. The referees are all in a slightly weird situation in that as their own country does well, their chances of refereeing the big game diminishes. And obviously, you know, patriotism is important and everything. But at the same time, you got into this to try and do the big game. So when Wales go out, is there a little pang of like, oh, actually, maybe this increases my chances here? Um, God, I was asked that so many times before the tournament. And, and my answer is still the same now. It, you know, it, for me, it, your country comes first. And, um, you know, I would have I would have loved to be sitting in Twickenham on, on, on October the 31st and and cheering my country and Wales on, and, and seeing the boys lift the wear Bailey's trophy, but uh, unfortunately it didn't turn out that way. And and I guess then you know the the next best thing then if if somebody from the country is involved in in the final, then then that's the next best thing. And uh, you know I I would have been I would have been more than happy you know to be sitting there and and, and watching Wales lift the wear Bailey's trophy. And, and I'm sure as as many of the boys have sort of texted and messaged since you know they they were very happy the fact that they weren't there. They were very happy the fact that 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 I then was was going on to referee the final. What's that moment like when you get the phone call, or is it in person where they take you into a room and they say, "You're our guy"? Well, it was a bit strange to be honest with you, because um, you know the, the tournament had gone pretty well. I, I did my best in all the games, and the feedback was pretty good and everything. So after the quarterfinals, we were, we all had a meeting just to go through a few things after the that round of games, and and then we were you know we were given the semi-final appointments and then you know my name wasn't in the semi-final lineup at all in in any capacity and then a few of the referees turned around and said congratulations well done and i said for what i haven't even got a game and they said well you've got the final now and i said no you, you don't know that so but then there was a bit to me knowing really to be honest that well hang on you know i've i've refed pretty well in the tournament you know i've done my best and uh, you know, I'd be very surprised. I think if if I hadn't had an involvement then after the the quarterfinals, and that, that could have been the third, fourth playoff. Don't get me wrong. So there's a bit to me thinking I've got a good chance here, but I didn't really know when, until I was told. So even though you know it it came as more of a relief, I guess, than than a surprise or a shock when I was told I was doing the final, because a big part of me was thinking, you know, yeah, I've got to shout for this, and a lot of people were telling me that, but but until you're actually told. Um, you you don't really know we're doing it, and it was only then I was told in 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 the meeting that I was doing the the final at the end of the meeting we had, and uh, yeah, it was it was a great honour, really, you know. And I had a tear in my eye, and and all the referees stood up and and clapped, and everyone came and shake my hand and gave me a, a cuddle and everything, and uh, it it was then trying to get out of the emotion then, and then look forward to to the game on the weekend. And Nigel Bryan here. Um, I said Brian, how are you? I said very good. I said said to you at the awards another um, sterling performance. Um, when you're not talking about the referee uh, in finals, it's usually a good thing. So, um, what the lads wouldn't have been privy to was at the World Awards. You know, you don't often get uh, standing ovations for referees. They're usually reserved for booze. And <laughs> this guy came up and won his referee of the year. He got um, a standing ovation, went down a treat. I want what I want to know, Nigel, is ordinarily do you get nervous before games, and did you have more butterflies because it was a World Cup final? Brian, I had more butterflies getting up to get that award on Sunday night and having to say a few words in front of you all, believe me, than I did before the World Cup final. Um, I, I don't get, I don't get really nervous in the sense that I, I nervous and I, and I worry about it and feel sick before the game and, and stuff like that. It's more of a, 
bit of an adrenaline, bit of a butterfly in your in your stomach of more of an excitement, really, than and a bit of apprehension because you never know. You know, you, same as playing. Sometimes you need a bit of luck of the bounce of the ball, and refereeing the same. Sometimes you need a bit of a bit of luck when you're refereeing as well. So I don't really get nervous. I, I get more of sort of a bit of an excitement and a bit of a, a butterfly feeling. Uh, probably a little bit of nerves in there, but nothing that I sort of lose sleep over or or get worried and worked up uh, about about the game. But um, but I, you know there is a little bit of apprehension there because you you, you never know you know how games are, are going to turn out and uh, <laughs> you as a referee you're only as good as, as as your last game so it was you know it was, it was lovely it was it really meant a lot you know to get the standing ovation on on Sunday night it, you know I, I was really touched by that and uh, but I know feel well as well you know that uh, a couple of poor games and all of a sudden there'll be nobody getting up on their feet and applauding so make the most of it was like last I say. You obviously have a really good way of getting into a game and being a part of the game. It's the ability to kind of. Uh, have a chat with players while at the same time maintaining control and uh, that's kind of like what all sports people are def- always trying to do they're trying to be in the moment while at the same time aware of what's going on and it's kind of it's a very difficult thing to do it is um and you know i think the hardest thing about refereeing a test match or any professional game really is is your concentration and your focus and you have to stay in that moment all through the game you've got to deal with exactly what's what's happening in front of you you can't think of you know what what this decision may mean in 20 minutes' time or what this decision may mean when I look back. Like you've, you've got to stay in that moment. You've got to referee the moment and, and focus on what's happening in front of you. And sometimes you're just, you're just oblivious sometimes of what, what goes around you, really. But, but also as well, even with that concentration, you, you've got to be aware and have empathy of what players are trying to achieve in that moment and, and around that moment as well. And it's, it's difficult to get that, that balance, really. And, you know, the... The easy part of refereeing is picking up the law book and, and going out and blowing the whistle. Anybody can do that, but the difficult part is is knowing where not to blow the whistle, and, and all that comes part of you know refereeing in that moment as well, but also being able to appreciate what's what's going on around you as well, really, which is which is very very difficult. Nigel, I remember when Sam Warburton was picked for the Lions uh, as Lions captain. Um, I remember Warren Gatlin making a comment that, you know, he's really, really good at referees. Obviously, that's not the only reason he was picked, but it was a factor. How much can a good captain, you know, influence a referee? I'm not sure if influence is is, is the right word. Um, Maybe, you know, when referees, I remember when I started refereeing and I did my first European Cup, my first big European Cup game, really, which was which was Toulouse against Wasps out in Toulouse. And Lawrence Delalio was the captain of Wasps. And Lawrence was you know, a great ambassador for the game. And, and Lawrence was a great captain as well. And, you know, he, he, he came over one ruck in the game and killed the ball right on the Toulouse try line. And he rolled away and he tried to make it look like a, like a complete accident. And I fell for it. You know, his, his presence and his influence on me as, as a new, inexperienced referee certainly avoided him having a yellow card. And I came off the field at the end of the game. And um, Derek Bevan, who was a TMO, who's coached me as well and who I owe a lot to, said, uh, you know, not many things happen in, in rugby by accident. And, and he's, he's got you there. He, he's used his experience in, in making the impression that was an accident when he knew exactly what he's doing. And uh, Derek Bevan told me, you, you never let that happen again. And I learned from that. So there is no doubt that, you know, a good captain has 
can make a difference, really, especially with young referees coming through or who are inexperienced. Exactly the same as, as young players getting their first cap or playing their first big game can make decisions because because they're inexperienced in, in that environment. And, you know, Sam was a great captain, and, and I've said this many times, you know, yourself in, in Leinster and Ireland were a great captain as well, so were Paul O'Connell and a lot of other people in the world, uh, you know, were, were great captains and great great leaders. And I think as well, Brian, it's the fact that, you know, as a referee, you you have a respect for a person, not only as a player, but but as a, as as a captain, as a player, but as a person off the field as well. And I'm not sure when you do and gain the experience as a referee, and you become more experienced. I I don't think you know you can influence a referee's decision as a captain, but but you certainly when you know when when somebody you respect comes up to you and says something, look, this is happening in the game. You you do tend to write, okay, you know, I'll take on your point and I'll have a look myself to see exactly what's going on where. You know, we're, we're captains who sort of uh, are not good captains and are in your ear all the time. You just you just switch off to them and don't take much notice of them, really. So, uh, you know, a, a good captain does make a difference to to the team as well, and a good captain can also refer, help a referee in, in in controlling the the, the game and controlling some of the players when need be as well. Yes, and and speaking from exper- uh, of of experienced referees, you know, you you um, obviously would have, I'm sure, felt for Craig Joubert when you know the contentious decision um, of the quarterfinal between Scotland and and Australia, and the flack that he would have uh, copped as a result of it. Um, I suppose the, the question I want to ask, and lots has been spoken about it, where would you and where do referees stand on the ability of pot- potentially a captain's challenge coming in where? Once a game or once a half, a captain can go. Listen, this is a pivotal moment in a game. Can I challenge that? Can you go to the, uh, to the TMO and just have a look? Do you think that's it, it, you know it's, it's worth um, looking into a bit more? Or do you feel the game's too fragmented as it is? Um, that's, that's, a, that's a damn good question, and um, I'd like to tell you yes. I think it's a great idea, but then we have to make sure that we get it right because. There is no doubt, you know, what, what everybody wants in the game, that, that we as referees, or when I referee my next game, or what everybody wants is you get the big decisions right. And you can't referee a test match on your own anymore. You need a good two assistant referees to support you, and you need a good TMO, and you need technology sometimes to get things that are humanly impossible for you to get right. So technology is here to stay. What we have to do is we can't overuse it. We can't rely on it to get all the, every decision in the game. We have to referee it ourselves and only use the technology when it's needed. And there is no doubt on occasions now the TMO is, is overused. There is no doubt about that. So we, we need to get better as a group of referees and group of officials in using that technology better. And if, you know, by, by looking at the maybe the, the use of, of the captain's challenge, um, if that does help the game and, you know, if we can change the protocol that we don't use the TMO for going back so many phases, that we only use it as a captain's challenge, and if that's good for the game, um, then, then I'd be all for that. And, and, and the possibly, I think, that is certainly worth thinking about and, and certainly worth looking in. I, I don't think I would like to have one challenge every half because at the end of the day, you could have four TMO calls there, plus a referee doing a couple more. So all of a sudden, you've got five, six, seven TMO calls in the game. But I'd be all for, I think, for changing the protocol to going for just try line and then possibly a, a serious foul play and then having one captain's challenge for, for, for the game. Uh, I think that, that may work and that may be something that, that may be well worth, worth looking, looking into because... We all want to get the big decisions right, but we also we don't want the TMO to become something that is used for the sake of just being used in the game. We need to get it right. Yeah, 
You do you agree with most of that? Yeah, I do. You, like like you know the the referees probably came in for a, a bit of stick early on in the in the competition, particularly the first game. I, I can't remember who it was who, who did England um, and Fiji. England and Fiji. 10, yeah, ten extra minutes. It was yeah. It was like it was a hun- nearly a hundred minute game, and it just it just seemed it, it seemed it, to start getting on the ridiculous side of things and. All of a sudden, you've got you're you're looking at NFL rather than rugby. You know where it's that stop start, and that's not our game. So yeah. you have to strike the balance of, of of you know making sure those big calls are correct. But at the same t- time, I think the referees, in fairness to them, they did adapt where they were you know with foul play in particular that they had the team that was looking while they still ran the game on, and that's that was the, great. That, you know yeah. that's the that's you know working away, and the, that's what the guy up in, in the stands or in, in the the van at the back is there to do. Yeah. So I think you know they they really did in, in fairness um, deal with it very well. I thought the standard of refereeing in the World Cup in general was was pretty good. Yeah. Um. One of the things that we were kind of interested in, in talking to you about, Nigel, was just the the evolution of say the understanding of the referees about what's going on at the breakdown because it seems like we've reached a point now where you guys have a very good handle on as you were saying say in the Lawrence Delalio incident uh, it now seems as if every referee in the world certainly at the World Cup level is getting to the point where we at home watching understand why a penalty was or wasn't given and that's a very good thing yeah, it is, and you know, in, in the World Cup, you know, we, we, we you, you should have seen good officiating because you know you you, you had the top twelve referees in in the world. They picked who they thought were the best best twelve, and, and they were the best twelve at at, at at the World Cup. And you know, we I think as as a group of officials, we we played a, a small part, but but an important part in in helping the games flow. But you know, all all the credit for the good rugby in the World Cup has to go to the players, and also to be fair to the coaches who who encourage the players to go out there and, and play rugby the way it should be played. So all the credit has to go to the teams, the players for doing that. But also as well, I think you you need referees of, of quality to, to play that sm- small part in the game to, to allow the game to flow. And under the guidance of, of, of Joel Jutra, I think has done an excellent job in, in getting us all together and all us on the same wavelength during the World Cup. I, I think that, that, that came, came through. You know, it's, it's, I, I've been refing 28 years um, and in those 28 years, there's not a single game where I managed to referee and not make a mistake. And for the next four or five years, uh, hopefully till 2019 and maybe the, the end of that season after that, when I then finally decide to hang up the whistle, in every game from, from now on to the next five years, I, I am going to make a mistake in the game. But, but the better you get at it and the better team you have around you, then there's less mistakes you make. And the mistakes that you do make don't really matter. They get lost in the game. They don't affect the outcome of the game. And uh, and that's what's important. So I, I think, you know, the quality of the refereeing in the World Cup, I thought, was, 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 was very good and credit to everybody involved with that, the assistant referees and, and the TMO as well. And and that's what you want. You want you want the best players in your team, but then you also need the best referees in the world to, to referee those games. And I, I think the balance was striked very well, I think, in actually refereeing the game, but also allowing that contact area to breathe so we can have a bit of continuity and people can, can sit back at home and in the stadiums and, and enjoy when rugby is, is played you know, to, to its positiveness is, is the great game it is and a lot of people ask the question you know, what, what laws do you need to change and all I tell them this look in the last couple of years I've been very very lucky to be to be involved in some great games, you know, South Africa, New Zealand, which was dubbed the, the, one of the greatest game of rugby that's been, and then and then Ireland, New Zealand, which was a great game of rugby, then England, France this year, and then some of the games in the World Cup, and and that will tell you one thing. Hang on, when you when you got two teams who play good rugby, there's nothing wrong with with the laws of the game. So. Um, you know, I, I don't think we need to change much of the laws of the game because what this World Cup has, has proven, you know, is 
when teams go out to play rugby, then then it's a great it's a great game to sit back and watch. Uh, uh, Brian mentioned Craig Joubert there earlier on. Have you ever had to do a legger off the field like that? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to bring that up, but it's best I don't mention nothing about that. But. Um... <laughs> Even on even on Craig Craig Joubert, do you think he's been harshly treated because by World Rugby because you know it's a fifty fifty call really? Um, look, you know, I I think Craig Joubert sat down with World Rugby and, and they and they both both parties agreed of, of of you know what what was the best way to 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 do that and you know I think only Craig can answer you that you know they they sat down together and uh, and they dis, dis, discussed it I'm I'm pretty sure so you know I I wasn't involved in any of that discussion or anything so um, you know it's just not for my place to, to to comment and that or say anything about it to be honest you know. Nigel, what happened the full time in the World Cup final? Is one team gone crazy? Another team absolutely devastated. Are you quietly satisfied and, and go and have a drink with your team, uh, or do you hang around in the field? How do, like what happens in the next hour? Um, yeah, you, you know you 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 could hang around and you you know you 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 congratulate the winning team and you commiserate with with you know with the losing team and then you you wait for your for your turn to to get up and and get the we we didn't get we didn't get a medal um, we got a. We got a whistle, an engraved um, gold whistle, you know, with with a game on it and your name on it, which was which is really nice actually. And then you then just come off the the, the, the podium like like I do in in all the finals I've I've done the local finals to the European Cup finals, the Pro 12s, and and the World Cup final. And then you and your team just you know you just hang about there and and just watch the moment. Then like like everybody else, you know, you watch the the losing team go up first to, to get their medal and congrats, you know, applaud when they go up for taking their part in the game. And then. You stand and, and, and applaud the, the winning team and watch them lift the Webellis trophy and, and then we go back to the change rooms and just relax a bit yourself and you know it takes hours and hours for you to come to, to come back down just just like the players do I guess and then you know we can enjoy a few beers and stuff afterwards but you always enjoy a few beers afterwards better if you know if, if you if you've done your job you know and um, if you come off that field and, and nobody's talking about you and nobody's talking about you the following following day then. Everybody's talking about the rugby and, and the players and, and, and what a great game it was. Then, then you can be satisfied and, and, and your job is done. And, and, and that's and that's all you should hope for as a referee. That when you come off that field, everybody's talking about the game and not talking about you. And, and that's all you should ask for as a referee. And, and that's that's all you hope for as a referee. That's great, Nigel. One, one final question, I suppose. Just listening to you earlier on, what I want to know is. Lawrence pulled the wool over your eyes once. Did did you get him back at some stage over the course of his career, where on a fifty-fifty yellow cards you were like, mm, I'm not sure. I remember that time he conned me. You're in the bin for ten, son. I refereed him then. In um, I refereed him a game a couple of months after that. And when I uh, went in, he was the captain still. I went into the change rooms then. I, I came over to shake my hands. He said, Nigel, how's it going? And I asked him, right then, Lawrence. Uh, what half do you want to go off in today? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> in all fairness, he just laughed and I just laughed and uh, and then we moved on. Oh, listen, Nigel, thanks so much for making the time for us tonight. I understand you're doing a game tomorrow. Slightly smaller audience than Twickenham last week. Oh yeah, much smaller. I'm uh, I'm I'm back in uh, in Division One West tomorrow on the community grassroots of the game where where we all you know to me the most important part of the game is the community and the grassroots of the game. That's where we all started. That's where as kids you enjoy your rugby and, and that's from there that you, you want to go on and play and want to follow the heroes that you that you look that you look up to, you know. And uh, it doesn't matter what you achieve in life as a player, as a referee or whatever you do in life, it doesn't matter what you achieve. You should never ever forget where you come from. Probably more importantly, you should never ever forget as well that the people who've probably given up their time for nothing to help you 
achieve what you've achieved in in life. So it's it's just great tomorrow. You know, I'm I'm really looking forward tomorrow to going back to grassroots rugby and and refereeing the game tomorrow, and then enjoy a few beers with family and friends and everybody in in the clubhouse afterwards. Because at the end of the day, that's what this wonderful game is is all about is is respect and and enjoyment. Nigel, great stuff. Congratulations, you had a great World Cup. Thank you very much. Uh, Nigel Owens uh, freely giving up his, his time for us this evening 53106 is the text number if you want to get in touch you can text us uh, you can also tweet us at Off The Ball we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back with reaction and more after this Off The Ball with thanks to Ford drive for the line with the new Ford Cougar Titanium Plus if you want to drive a real SUV it's time to drive a Cougar Ford go further so no all-stars for Dermot Connolly or Michael Murphy the uh, team is Keely and Goals McMahon O'Carroll and Enright in the full back line Keegan Keanu Sullivan and McCaffrey in the half back line Fenton and Marr in midfield Maddie Donnelly Kieran Kilkenny and Dunica Walsh Kieran McManus Aidan O'Shea and Bernard Brogan in the full forward line um, a huge amount of uh, love and respect for Nigel Owens coming in automatically on Twitter as soon as it happens there um, what was he actually like to be refereed by? Like he was one of the, he was definitely one of the best. I, I, I was most enjoyable. Do you know what? He had a, he had a nice manner to him. That's the problem with certain referees is the way they talk down to you or, or, or patronize you, or, or sh- shoo you away. There's nothing worse than that. Whereas at least he had a nice manner, and you knew when you approached him and he had made a decision on the level of tone as to okay, this is there's no point in saying a word here, just yeah. get away. Yeah. But he yeah, he had there was but there was a fun aspect to it. But he, it was overall it was his consistency was the best thing. And we you know, we mentioned the all black Ireland game, which is kinda of hard, it sends a shiver down the spine. But at the same time, again that was the right call. You know, we were trying to seal off, yeah. trying to you know, um, play the clock out and uh, and he saw it for what it was and yeah. that was another good call it was, I suppose it was a tough call to make because you know the popular thing would have been you know for Ireland to have won and for him to have been hailed this magnificent referee the you first time we dreams. beat the All Blacks I'd say there's a lot of people out there who are going I can't believe you said that because uh, you know I'd say a lot of Irish fans still are like no screw you screw you but it was it's yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it was I remember looking at it and thinking we've got to go to 10 you've got to go to 10 you've got to present a better picture that's what the referees want. They want a good picture. They want to look as though you're playing. Yeah. And um, you know that that also go, it all you know turned when Wales played. I think a few years ago in Croke Park, we played like the last five or six minutes against us. Yeah. They just pick and jam, seal off. Yeah. So that forever changed the game. Um, that bit that we were talking about uh, the quality of refereeing. Colin was making the point that rugby does this really well. It it continues to evolve and change the rules, mm-hmm. and then they're clear on the interpretation, so everybody understands what they are, even though the laws don't necessarily always change and that's a really strong thing that rugby has that a lot of other sports don't have like at the breakdown we now kind of largely understand what's going on yeah it's, 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 there's no doubt the rugby rules are quite intricate and you know it's for for I, I actually was at the semi-final and I sat I was sitting beside the, the Chinese ambassador to uh, to the UK um, and, and I was trying to explain to him you know the rule, the the rules of the game Tricky enough. it's pretty <laughs> you know lost in translation as well but um, you know, he he was pretty clued in when when they were mauling. He was like, "Why don't they use all the space?" Yeah, I was like, "That's a good point. Why are they? Why are they mauling he was that?" Watching Ireland, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's semi-final there. All oh, right, yeah. <laughs> Let's start it. Uh, so it, you know, it is intricate. But at the same time, when you have people like Nigel explaining it um, very clearly and um, talking to you as well as players, 
when you're there. So if he sees an infringement happening, he can call you out on it or tells you to release. So he's given you prior warning where some referees that say nothing just blow immediately and you yeah. go, how was I to know? It transforms the game. It does. It just makes things easier and it, and it makes the flow. The <laughs> less the less whistling you hear, the better the game. Who changes the rules? Is it like a committee or like, you know, like from the GA example, there has to be a whole Congress and it's in a whole nightmare. But rugby once seemed to go through without any fuss and look, this is what you're dealing with this year, lads, and you just get on with it. I don't know. I presume like World Rugby sit down and along with, um, you know, I presume there's panels for for uh, committees for for different um, different things, and that's one of the things of of modifying the rule and ex players being involved and how do you think the game could yeah, be, it's yeah, could be better. free really, isn't it? Uh, I was at the All Black game in the Aviva in 2013 when Nigel was referencing this texture. I was listening on the ref mic coming into the last 10 minutes. You could hear him telling his officiating team, be vigilant as it's so close and sure all decisions are right. Pure class. I mean, obviously, you would expect a good referee to do that, but the fact that uh, we all know it, again, I think really helps with, there's a, a belief in the credibility of the officials from the fans, which there isn't necessarily in a lot of other sports too. We don't have a clue why some decisions are made mm. in GA or even in soccer sometimes. Yeah, you you want the uh, ref mic to come into GA. I don't because I'm pulling out the amateur. Um, they have to go to work. Say, but what if what if you said something untoward and you're picked up and it made so what you, yeah, you, so you say it in the next you day. You your you job. If you, what if you just who's going to fire you over something I'm you say think, in the field? Well, it could be the terrible language. It could be. Like the, <laughs> listen, there's some serious. Sle- we know what's being said on fields. If if some of that was picked up, you know, you're not a professional. You have to go into work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this was dismissive. Yes, you whatever, ever. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel and Kevin, can you ask Nigel Owens if he's ever met a forward who actually knows all the rules up to date? Uh, the forwards do know the rules; they just pretend they don't. Isn't that the whole yeah, point? Yeah, front. Uh, there's a lot of front rowers don't know the, the <laughs> too, rules. Too busy gaming. Uh, Malin Kirkaguina says uh, Nigel was heard to gasp during one of the New Zealand games at the ferocity of the tackles. That is the other thing that the ref might picks up the the absolute hits. Mm. Um, watching this World Cup, I'm sure you're pretty glad you were tired about the yeah I was standing pitch side for the final. And seeing the size of that all black team, they are enormous. Yeah, there's all this like absolutely enormous. Oh. I don't remember being out there and, and thinking, God, those lads are big. They've they all slimmed were, down. And was no. the the thing with yeah? The, that's what I was reading yeah. as well. That they're not, not necessarily but they're all six six four six five, and all of them props. Um, you know, all the back rowers, like people like Rich, you know, Richie McCall. You know, he's he's a small enough guy. Yeah, small six four. You know, hundred four or five kilos yeah it was a really enjoyable game the game itself yeah it was a great final we needed Australia to get back into it the, the yellow card was huge um, and it was funny you know when the yellow card was up and Ben Smith came back I thought the one thing I would say I thought Milner Scudder showed a lot of naivety in real not, in not realising that his full back was gone he still played too much on the wing Yeah, he should have just reverted to full back and it was interesting that they brought Bowden Barrett on for him and you know you saw the try that he scored at the end too. He's got he's he's a class player, Bowden Barrett. Yeah, um, seeing Dan Carter and, and McCaw do that, uh, is there a sense that okay, this is justice for these guys? That well, particularly Carter, obviously. Um, you know, Richie's um, Richie's done it once before, and he did it on one leg four years ago. Um, and you know, to the fairy tale for Dan to you know, it's only right that a player of his caliber, you know, yeah. having missed out four years ago, gets to do it in the manner in which he did. You know, and and he needed, and they needed him. They needed him to turn it around for them and steady the ship when when Australia got back into it. So it literally couldn't have gone any better for no. Carter. Yeah, are, are the popular dream. are the popular figures within the game Carter and McCaw? Yeah, they are. Like Richie, um, yeah, they are. R- Richie's kind of a quiet enough guy. And kind of goes about his business, um, and 
and Dan would be yeah he would be popular I suppose there's not that much socialising anymore you see them after after games for dinner maybe yeah. the Southern Hemisphere teams go into each other's dressing rooms a lot more you know, playing super rugby and playing test match rugby so they know each other a little bit better but you know the the bit that I, I obviously would have sat beside Richie at dinners and gotten to chat to him and he's yeah. you know, pretty uh, pretty easy company yeah um, Sam Burgess has obviously uh, fled mm-hmm I mean, I suppose I would flee too if I was um, being made the scapegoat for an entire country's yeah, failure. Yeah. Also, you know, he's going back to an environment that he likes um, into a role that's that's a lot easier for him. Uh, and the flip side to that is he could, he's not a centre, so he'd be p- becoming a back row and probably take him another year, maybe a year and a half to yeah. actually bend himself down as a proper, um, you know, world-class standards uh, back row. And is he, is he willing to put that time in? He'd go then back to the Rabbitohs where they love him. It was really weird though. I was like, oh no, he's going to stick around. He's, he's definitely going to stay. And I was like, no, he's not because everybody says he's not. And then yeah. he shows up for training and it's like, oh, actually he's gone. I think Bath were a bit harsh on him as well. He wouldn't allow him to say goodbye to his teammates. Oh, they not know. No, they took it pretty badly. Uh, like a, a jilted lover. Yeah. I suppose you would because you'd kind of gone to, to bat for him for... Um, they got paid off seven... Some, Nearly seven. They were looking for five hundred. Yeah, they were looking for yeah. more than the five hundred grand. That yeah, they, I think they got seven fifty, seven hundred fifty thousand yeah. from getting back. So look, he um, wasn't performing brilliantly for them either. Anyway, was he? No. Um, did some other stuff coming out of the the last week or so? Uh, the possibility of Zebo heading to Toulouse. Now this might just be an agent. So I don't know where they got the idea from. <laughs> Terrible the way they're using promoting the themselves out there and. <laughs> The use of these poor French clubs, they're the ones I feel sorry for. <laughs> the, the innocent French clubs. <laughs> um, I don't know, it's contract time. I, I, I've, I heard somewhere that he's actually not centrally contracted, he's just contracted to Munster. So whether that's with a view to looking for a central contract, I don't, I don't know. But this happens, you know, it happens in, in all sports um, where there's transfers. And yeah. Listen, he's looking for the best deal and good luck to him. Totally. The only thing about Munster is that um, this wasn't handled very well with JJ. No. Cameron, you would say. No, it's true. And yeah, know. so they should lock it. Listen, if if he is um, looking at getting a new contract in Munster, they should lock it down very soon. Stuff shouldn't be left until March or April. No. It should be locked down before before Christmas, absolutely. And Zebo is exactly the type of player that they need. I mean, given the, yeah. the injuries that they've had, the decimation that they've had, um, and maybe his future is at fullback? Um, yeah, I think he's he's equally good at fullback and, and on the wing. He's very good in the air. He's a nice kicking game. Uh, probably gets more opportunity, obviously, to counter-attack from, from fullback. So probably, yeah, I, I, I don't know actually which is his preference is for, probably fullback. But, you know, he wants to play in the national team as well and you'd have to imagine that, that Rob Carney might be there for another while. Um, but, you know, if he if Zeebs keeps playing the way he has been playing, he'll push him hard. Yeah, OK. Uh, and just the whole sense that um, Northern Hemisphere rugby is completely disastrously dead, uh, having been to the semi-finals and the finals, any change in your view on that? <laughs> no, I just think that um, we do need to make some modifications to our game. We have to play a little bit more... Um, Expansively, I think we have to incorporate, uh, on the whole, a, more of an offloading game. You can see how you saw how effective it was for the, for New Zealand. You saw how effective it was for Argentina. Um, you know, the mo- the most improved team in the world. So we can we can learn from our mistakes of uh, and our shortcomings. We don't have to have wholesale changes, but we do have to take a few more risks. I think. Yeah. All right. One couple more quick texts. Actually, Alan and Tip. Can you ask Brian who he thinks was the better fly half, Carter or Wilkinson? Uh, Carter. Yeah, okay. 
that was pretty straightforward, isn't it? Like Wilkinson's an unbelievable yeah, phenomenon. Yeah, Johnny but... was phenomenal back in the early two thousands, but just all round game, um, ability to run as well uh, with the ball and pick the pass too. I think Carter was you know, there's not many in that league. Yeah, uh, please ask Rico what's his one rep max squat. I was never a squatter. I was a sled puller. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, how much would you load the sled with? Three forty, I think I got. On Holy shit! Oh, like I don't even. I, I'm depends on the surface too, you know. Really yeah, going to ask the surface. The surface yeah. yeah, yeah, that would have been. On There's grass. a name on them where you push that, isn't there? In the they're cro- they're a CrossFit exercise they're yeah. called. I can't think of what they're called, but it looks know, like torture. You talk, yeah, you're yeah, I've done. To get fi- I've done the sled fitness. That is horrific nightmare. Absolutely horrific. Preseason, Lactic. kind of to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like for me, the sled pulling—it's very relative to what I did, what I was doing, and low center of gravity. Yeah, you know, angles of running. So people uh, driving. I had, a bit of, I had a bit of a dodgy back too. So and poor technique. So all those things pointed towards you know, getting my leg work out through sleds. Okay, all right, uh, all right. And I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I hated weights, but I quite enjoyed sleds. Uh, who doesn't enjoy sleds? All of the weights. <laughs> a lot of weights. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, next week's quiz brought to you by Who Doesn't Enjoy Sleds? <laughs> <laughs> Brian O'Driscoll, thanks very much. We'll see you again real soon. We'll obviously keep you updated on how the rugby games are going on this evening with um, Richie. Uh, keeping an eye on those for you. In the next hour, we have our quiz and loads more. Stay tuned. Off the ball. Getting inside the game. Sponsored by Ireland's favourite car brand, Ford. Go further.